the church is the way of the kingdom. Right through faith, says, Amen, and the faithful are true witness, the beginning and the creation of God. He says this, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor you're hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white, and, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I will
and, and man, you enjoyed His presence and, and how the Holy Spirit just really just seemed to just walk with you every day that you found in the strength to do the things you need to do because of His presence. But gradually things began to crowd out that time and you got busy and all of a sudden this thing happened and gradually there you were and you, as you passed, passed by that, that lobby or by, passed by that living room in your house, you began to look and you began to see He was waiting for you Standing there waiting for you, but you were too busy and went on. Then you wonder why you didn't have the joy, you didn't have the peace, you didn't have the other things in your life. In fact, remember one of the things that we've learned in the last few months that that nearness is lacking. Huh? You want to be like Jesus? You got to get near him. That's why Psalm 16 says this: In His presence. Some of us that are not joyful, some of us don't have the peace in our life we ought to have. In His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. You want those things in your life? Then you've got to spend time with Him. You've got to get there. You've got to get there. So Jesus looks at us. There's not one of us that cannot look at our life, examine ourselves. The Bible says examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. To look at ourselves and to see whether or not we're doing all the things that He wants us to the message of all seven of these churches is repent. He says, and he says to us this, he says, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the very power thereof. That God's power does not rest. And why does it, His presence not rest? Because we only have a form of godliness. Or we go through all the motions. Or we make it right when the people ask us, are you a Christian? Or we say, oh yes we are. But but when the Holy Spirit urges us or the Holy Spirit gooses us or tells us to speak to somebody about their soul salvation, we, we don't want to do that. We want to quench the Spirit. And the very reason we want to quench the Spirit because what would people think of us today if we stood up for Jesus in the middle of this God-forsaken culture that we were leading in? And it is God-forsaken. So He asks us to look at ourselves and to judge us. But the Bible says this, The real verse of Scripture for you as a child of God is 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, as we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What's He saying to us? Oh, bring it out in the light. Oh, you may think He doesn't know. He sees everything. He knows what you have need of even before you ask. He knows everything you do. He knows your downsetting, your uprising. He knows everything about you. He knew you while you were still in your mama's womb. And every one of your days were already laid out in front of him before you were even one day old. He knew all that. And so when you do something, you think nobody knows this guy. He sees it and he knows. And he's saying to you, bring it out in the light. Because when you bring it out in the light, you put it to the Lord. Did you see what I did? He already knows. He loves you. He sees in the light, and you bring it in the light, and he says, oh, but if you walk in the light, as he's in the, in the light, he, you have fellowship with him, one with another. And then he says this, and the blood of Jesus Christ that what? Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. See, you've got to come to a place where you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, not the way the world sees you. Not what Uncle Minnie and Aunt Paul or whoever else it is that sees it. No, you've got to come to the place and see yourself the way God sees you. Well, there's a wonderful verse over in 1 John. I'll get to my message in a minute. Uh, 
And there's a wonderful verse over in 1 John that says, As He is, so are we in this world. Amen? That's how God sees you. You say, but Lee, I, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I know that. He knows that. But He still loves you. People say, you bring it out in the light and get rid of it. D.L. Moody once preached in a campaign and the hearts were stirred and many saved. Then those same people returned back to their churches. But many of those returned to churches where many of the members and the officers and the workers had not been moved at all. Churches, they returned back to church. They were on fire for the Lord, but they returned back to churches that were cold and, and God's Word was not emphasized there. These new converts were like hot coals on crackling fire. The church had no revival and there were no conditions to receive them. It was like putting a new baby in a refrigerator or turning a newborn child over to someone who, however will, intended lacks the love that a mother would have. Mr. Moody was asked this question. He was asked this. He said, would you, have, would you put live chicks under a dead hen? That's the question I would ask you who is raising Bible children. What are we? Are we alive? Are we alive to the place that some of these folks that we see coming to know Jesus, just the tears running down their cheeks and they, and they turn their life up? Are we, are we the incubator that God wants us to be, that we grow people up in the Lord and the admonition and the nurture of the Lord? Are we that kind of church? Are we that kind of people that, I, that, that when somebody gives their heart to the Lord, that, that you don't have to wait for me to tell you to go see them? You go see them immediately and you say to them, Oh, I'm so glad given your heart to the Lord. In the past few weeks, we had several who have come to know Jesus for the first time in their life. Have you been one of those who have encouraged them and gone to them and told them how, how glad they were because of part of the body being part of the body of Christ? Jesus writes to these seven churches located in Asia, and one of the seven churches he rebuked, he rebuked, and as a result of that, five of the seven he rebuked, but say, though only two he did not rebuke, I have this against you, is what he said. He writes to Ephesus, the church of lovelessness, the church that had left their first love, people that at one time were intimately involved with Jesus, but in Hebrews one says they had drifted. It says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to those things we have heard, least we drift away. And that's how most of us move away from the Lord. He also talks about in the next verse in chapter 2 of Hebrews that those people that were disobedient. You know the main, one of the main ways that we move away from the Lord? We don't show His love like we do. We don't share. We don't get in the Bible. We don't pray like we do. We end up drifting. the church of Smyrna and the church that had no had he had no rebuke, the church that was long suffering, they were patient and they stayed faithful under terrible conditions. And I will say this to you, church, it could be us that, that stay faithful. Things are going to change. And as you look around and you see those things that, that we know that are right or good, that they're calling those things bad now. And those things that you and I know are are, are 
of them. I mean, I mean, come on, guys. Have you seen some of the people they're putting into some of these positions that are is going to have an impact over you? I mean, if that's not a smack in God's face, I don't know what is. Just look at their picture. Come on. anymore. And what's the absolute truth? Here it is right here. This is the absolute truth of God's Word. And as a result of that, they don't want it. They don't want the yardstick. The yardstick is what's bothering them. That's why Psalm 2 says, Come, let us cast off the cords that the cords and the chains that bind us. Let us be free to make our decision to do whatever we want to do. Testify to everyone who hears these 
words of the prophet in this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book, the first 19. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophet, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. Then he writes to the church of Thyatira that had combined his doctrine of the Bible with liberalism. And then he writes to the church of Sardis, and they were lifeless church. They were advertising, they were alive, but Jesus said, you're dead in the doorway. He writes to the church of Philadelphia, and they were the church that was in revival. This is a church because they had they had persevered that Jesus promises them, listen, he's saying he does the very same thing because all these, these churches are things written to you and I. This is what he promises. I will keep you from the hour of trial, listen to this, which shall come upon the whole earth, the whole world, to test those who dwell on earth. What's he saying? He's going to do it. The final church is the church of Laodicea, and we're going to spend our time on this church. And let me tell you why. the seven churches, we need to come to an understanding that, number one, first, that these were actual literal churches. They were, they were actual places that Jesus wrote to. They were literal churches. Very simple. Just like Grace Bible is a place, these, all these churches were not, they were not something somebody thought about. They were actual places that Jesus wrote to. The second thing is that the messages that Jesus spoke to all seven churches can and should be applied to every church today. That's the second thing. So here's the third thing. The third thing is the final thing, that these are also timelines or periods. So what do you mean? So Ephesus was the early church. Philadelphia, I believe, was the great awakening that took place in the 1980s to the 1960s, 60s, 70s, the time that great crusades, Whitfield, Moody, Billy Graham, those things, the Jesus movement. I really believe that the church of Philadelphia was those times. The early church was the time of Ephesus. And I want you to notice something that the early church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars of his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, who is he who holds the seven stars? That's Jesus. And who is who, what are the seven golden lampstands? That's the church. Because the Bible says that you and I are supposed to be light. So the church is supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be shining our light out to other people so that they might see that light because this world is so full of darkness and light overcomes darkness and as a result of that, they're supposed to come to us. And we're supposed to go to them. We're supposed to take them like you. And let me just clarify that. We don't serve in here. We serve out there. But I want you to notice something. Jesus says, you hold the seven stars in your right hand. He walks walked in the midst of the seven gold. Where did Jesus walk? He's walking in the midst. That's the seven gold. He's walking within the lampstands. He's walking within the churches. He's walking among the people. But now we come to the last church, which is the church of Laodicea. The church is rich and preached with goods and thinks they have need of nothing. And as a result of that, where's Jesus walking with them? Go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. What does it say? It says, Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. What's he saying? Uh, the church in America today, Jesus is asking. He's knocking at the door. He's asking that he might get into his own church and have a 
a profound effect upon us. Exodus chapter 2. Let me come in. We live in a time where once the Egyptian church was on fire for God. For long time. When did it, it start happening? When they started moving towards uh, ordaining people that could never do anything. James chapter 2. Presbyterian church could be counted on fire in the, because they had a pulpit that was on fire at one time. I never will forget about uh, several years ago, Cricket and I, we went to Florida and, and we got up real early one morning. We were across Alligator Alley and we drove all the way over to uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale, I think it was, where D. James Kennedy's church was. And we went to church with him. We had a very big, beautiful Presbyterian church. had all these big white speakers and things on it. The kids, they say, would come into that pulpit and line up on those, those speakers and they would come in. But we got to meet him afterwards, and there was a guy that there was a guy that was standing with him in that time, and I got to talk to him. I got to meet D. James Kenny. I told him, I said, I, 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 back in the 1970s, I said I bought your book, I bought your book, Evangelism Explosion, and I said I stuck it around for my visit. And he looked at me and he said, Oh, you're the guy that bought that book. So like he just saw one of them. That's the but this guy that was standing there by, and I asked him, you know, and we were talking, and he said, I've been here as a bodyguard. So there was a time that the Presbyterian Church was really on fire. Then, then, he got to me. then there was the Methodist Church. One time the Methodist Church, and, and you read the diary of John Wesley, he started the Methodist Church. I got a, I got a letter laying on my desk right now from a Methodist preacher uh, that, that's talking about resigning. And he's resigning because some of the things of his overall thing is they're not, they're not, uh, they're not sticking with some of the things that they promised they would stick with, and that means simply means the Word of God. They're not doing what God told them to do. John Wesley, he started the, the Methodist Church. I want you to listen to his. I, I got a copy of his diary. Now listen to how John Wesley, his ministry is doing. He, he said, Sunday a.m. May the 5th. Preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back. Uh, Sunday, May the 5th, preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May the 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May the 19th, preached at somebody else's. Deacon called special meeting, and I said, said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May the 19th, preached on the street. Preached on the street. Uh, Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached in the meadow. Chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday a.m., June the 2nd, preached out on the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June the 2nd. That's what I'm saying. Afternoon, preached to the pastor. 10,000 people came to the Man, what a good What a good What a good You know, but what will happen to you today? Will it be easy or will it be hard? Now, the Baptist church seems to be the ones that you could say, taken hold of the Great Commission and could be considered evangelistic. But I've got to simply say that the vapor is the reason some of the things that are happening in the Southern Baptist Convention is disturbing that many, many churches are, are going what we call woke. Now what's woke? Which means being aware of what's going on in us. 
on, on to be well informed, up to date, alert to racial and social discrimination and justice. Oh, that seems to be okay. Yeah. But which was actually introduced four years ago in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I think if you give into the woke agenda, which was produced by Black Lives Matter as a result, saying, saying we all must become woke, uh, uh, you know, aware of our circumstances, then I believe you don't know the Bible. Churches that are going woke do not. They do not know the Bible. Because what's what? Well, we're all the same. And, you know, white people should, uh, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness for what happened to slavery and all the other kind of things. But I want to tell you, you don't know the Bible. Why do you not know the Bible? Because listen to what the Bible says in Galatians 3, 28. Uh, it says, there is neither, listen to this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This is it. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, 17. And He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard, listen to this, we regard no one after the flesh. We regard no one after the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we have known Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. It says we don't know anybody by the color of their skin. We don't know anybody by their ethnicity or nationality. Listen, if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've given your heart and soul to Him, you are my brother in Christ. If you've given your heart and soul to Jesus Christ, you are my sister in Jesus Christ. Amen? If they only would read the book, find out what's going on. That we are one in Jesus is what it says. You know? Why? Because we're all one in Jesus. But if you notice, there's one phrase that is all through these three chapters of Revelation. Chapter 3, it says in chapter 3, verse 13, and listen to what it says. It says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's what we're not doing. It doesn't say, do you have ears? Do you have the Spirit of God that came into your life the moment you gave your heart to Christ, that we, that we have the mind of Christ? Do you recognize who you are in Jesus? He who has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And I believe right now as we're in these last days, I believe the Spirit is speaking to the churches like never before. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says that there should be no schism in the body. It says, it's not, that's not it. it says, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yet the deep things of God. Verse 11, For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we are received, now the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. We must 
listen, church, as we live in these last days, we must develop the spiritual ability that has been given to us by God Almighty to hear His voice. Also says in verse 15, that he who is spiritually judges all things. You've got to learn how to judge all things. Why? For your family's sake, for your children's sake, for your wife's sake, for your husband's sake. You've got to learn how to judge all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one because he's trying to live for Jesus. Francis Assisi one time said, Witness wherever you go. If absolutely necessary, use words. Witness wherever you go. It's absolutely necessary. Evangelism is connected to love. Verse 14, it says simply this. It says, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write these things, says, Amen, a faithful true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Laodicea was known throughout history as being very tricky politically because the city was built in a way that it could not defend itself militarily. So what did they do? But the only way that the Laodicea could survive was making compromises with its enemies. I will tell you simply that's exactly what we do. We make compromises with its enemies. Somebody was telling me the other day that they saw uh, advertising for the military. They saw that they had three, three things on the one wall. Russians and the Chinese showed men with huge muscles and everything else and some armament and everything else. And they showed who they were trying to solicit for us in our military. They basically showed a cartoon. In it, they showed how that they were going to be, how they were going to have everybody be killed, safely secure uh, in the enemy But note the address was not made to the church of Laodicea. But if you read it, what does it say? It says, unto the, uh, 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 of the church of the Laodiceans. In other words, the Greek word for laos just means, uh, we get out of our word laity, it means people, and deal, which means decisions or rules. Thus the church of the Laodiceans was directed by people rather than guidance of the Lord. The Laodicean mentality still remains a church that is leaning into its own understanding, its own wisdom, and not depending on the Lord. It may be that the influence of churches whose services regularly receive interviews with celebrities are not living godly lives, they have not taken a stand beyond the world. I love the Brooklyn Pastors. I was never a person, I was never a person who liked playing music. Jesus, you're not walking with the Lord. 
They won't let you. And there's something about that that we need to comprehend and understand. You know, it, it's, and, and that's just what it is. You know, you know, if a church is to exist and exist in the fire of God, it must, listen to me, it must have the blessings of God on it. Oh, I wish you'd listen to me. In order for us as Grace Bible Church to exist, in order for us to be able to have a church, in order for God to use us, and no matter what happens out here, hell on high water, whatever it is that comes against us, we will stand if the blessings of God is upon us. And this is why He said to us, and even though we're building a new building over here, listen to what God says. He says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor and labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up early and sit up late. Let me ask you this question. What are you building? What are you building? Are you building a house? Are you building a home? Are you raising children? Are you building up children? What are you building? What are you building? Are you building a business? You know? Are you are you building a career? Are you building education? What are you building? What are you building right now? If God's hand is not on it and He doesn't bless it, it will go to nothing. He wants to bless you. I thought when we went down here to Winchester that we went to serve alcohol on Sunday night and Sunday My whole argument, and I was one of those who spoke that night, right? But my whole argument was, Ron, you can't buy this and get out of the say and simply this. If God's hand is on not on something, it will come to nothing. Well, the Psalm 34 says, Blessed, blessed is the nation which God is the Lord. And then it also says this in Psalms 144, verse, uh, verse 15, Happy are the people whom God is Also, verse 14, it says that he mentions the fact he's saying amen, and the word amen means it being so be it. Jesus identified himself to this group that was so prone to compromise, saying there is certainty, and it's me, no compromise. See, I, I know you maybe some of you got pressure on you. You got pressure from your job. You got pressure from your family. You got other pressure, and the pressure is there trying to get you to compromise. But Jesus is what he's saying in this. He's saying simply this. There is no compromise. It's me. I won't compromise. And listen, if you will just stay with me, if you'll just stay with me, I'll be faithful and a true witness at the beginning of creation of God. What he said.
immediately you say be crucified with him, but does it mean being crucified physically? You can be crucified socially. You can be crucified on uh, YouTube. You can be crucified on Facebook. Whatever they're all called now, I don't know. But you can be crucified a lot of different ways. Just by standing. Remember what the Word of God said? It talks about the sword, and it tells us that those people were persecuted. Why? For the Word's sake. That's nothing to do with you. Talk about God till the cows come home. Amen. God did this. God did it. God blessed me. God. Did. Oh, I just love God. 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 Boy, it's hard talking to him about Jesus. Look out. <laughs> so, you know, and that's why the Bible puts it this way: Second Timothy three twelve. It says, "Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will." Very notice this. Will suffer. There are many preachers today that would say, what on the, what, what the Laodiceans would say, don't talk about suffering. We just want to be positive and be happy. Send me $100 and I'll send you back. We just want to be happy. That's what we want to say. Don't talk about suffering. If you have a church and you sit under the preaching within that church and you never, never hear a sermon about suffering or persecution or martyrdom, you're sitting under a Laodicean church. They don't want to think about people. The truth, however, according to the Scripture, is that if we're living godly, we're going to get nailed, whether we like it or not. Amen? And verse 14, I think it's made out of the first verse, the beginning of creation of God. Some have tried to use this verse that says Jesus, that would say that Jesus was not there in creation. That's not true. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Co-equal with God, the Father, because He was creating being. But the Greek word translated beginning here in Archie just means, actually means origin. And you see, God created all things through the Son, and He says this, For by Him, verse Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created through Him, verse 14. that our children are taught as a fact that they came from a tadpole, is it any wonder that creation would be in shaking? Now read, go on to verse 15 and 16. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you out being cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what it says. The Laodicean sister city was a place called Thermopolis and where hot springs were. So an aqueduct, they built an aqueduct, was constructed that caused the hot water from Eropolis to come to Laodicea and then to Colossus. It seemed like a great idea, but by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Thus the Laodiceans would know, would know what hot water was useful, and cold water was refreshing, but lukewarm water was not useful to them much because we can do this Now, he says the same thing about his people. He says, if you're hot, I can use it. If you're cold, I can deal with you. But if you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. You know, it's interesting. 
different things. You know, we get we're in these big things that we're living in today about judgment seat. And we go over to Matthew 7 and say, well, you know, judge not that you be not judged.
so you've got to give it over to the Lord. You don't own those things, how, you, how they'll work out, the, how, what the results will be. God has ownership. You just follow His plan. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me I, I don't want to expand this. Okay, let me see if I can. Here's what I want to finish up. So the last thing He says, in the, He says, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined with fire. That you may be rich in white garments, and that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes, that your eyes fast may not be seen. Okay. Let me just say this to you. Here it is. He's saying, he's talking about gold here. Buy me gold. The Bible says a smelter is a person who takes gold. He would take gold from a mine and heat it by fire until it liquefies. He would take this gold and something, he'd heat it, heat it so it liquefies. Then after stirring it until the impurities are burnt out, how do they know? They know in, in that process was complete when the smelter could look into that pot of liquid gold and he sees his reflection of his own face. I wish you could have Jesus is the master smelter. And he uses the heat. One of the things I've, I've learned is, boy, God uses adverse circumstances in your life. Why? To bring you to Him. If you're going through something right now, you need to stop and ask, what's God doing in your life right now? So, as these people who are impure and carnal and facilitating and lukewarm, he says, get into the fire, is what he's saying. Get into the battle. Engage yourself like you did in ministry. How long, like at first when you were so in love with Jesus, how long do you and I have to hold out until Jesus can see His face in your life? You must get rid of those things that contaminate you. Now here's the last. Let me get to the last thing. Last thing he says is this. He says. He says. Verse 18, he's talking about him, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, they would have known what he's talking about because this is the number one place that sees the eye. And here's the thing the same Jesus who said, Anoint your eyes with eye salve, is the same Jesus who is the great physician. He's the same one in John who put, in John chapter 9, that put mud on a man's eye and caused him to see. He put mud on his eyes and caused him to go to the pool of Siloam and dip and, and wash his face. And he came back, the Bible says, he came back seeing. The same Jesus who says, anoint your eyes with eyesight, is the same Jesus who is the great physician in John who put mud on this blind man's eyes. Now watch this. What's he doing? Listen, he allowed an irritable substance, irritability, to produce illumination. Amen? He allowed irritability to produce an illumination. He's saying to Laodicea, you're seeing everything from a carnal way. He says, you need to humble yourself before me and deal with the mud. He's saying, the mud hurts. It irritates my eyes. 
But the mud is there to make us aware of the problem in our hearts and the trouble in our souls before we can see what King David cried out in Psalms 139, 23, and 24. He said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everything. If you, if you fall on him with all your heart and all your soul, he'll heal you. 